Father, firstly, just want to um, thank you for Debbie and individuals like Debbie, not just within the Southwest, but just those who have decided to say yes to a call of obedience and a call to uh, just get out there and do some serious and solid kingdom work. Um, but in, within this very room, uh, pray for my words, that they would be yours. I'd simply be an instrument and uh, that any words or thoughts or concepts that you would prepare our hearts for exactly uh, what we might need to hear. And because of that, that we would turn around and do something about it. We want to be obedient. We don't want us to be tourists. We want to be your servants first and foremost. So uh, we pray that your spirit begin, stir begin stirring and that uh, we could be in a posture to, to listen and maybe even to um, have something reignited within us. In all things, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So in 1968, uh, Richard Nixon was elected president. It was also about that time in our nation's history that uh, the Vietnam War was at its height uh, within their, you know, many, many, many years. And typically when a country is at war, they need to find funds, need to find some money to finance said war. So when it came time in uh, 1969, not long after Nixon had begun his term, uh, it's time to start talking about the budget, the national budget. So uh, he kind of enlisted Senator John Pastore from Rhode Island to kind of be the, the chairman of the budget committee, held some of these budget hearings over that spring. And uh, when you're finding money to finance a war, like the, it pretty much comes down to depend on what does the president value and what does he not value. And one thing that Nixon did not value, did not see the need for, is he was just not a big fan of television. Uh, um, probably television, maybe not in its infancy, but it was maybe in its toddler years, kind of on a national scale, about 15 years at that point. And uh, he just really didn't see the value. I don't know if he thought it was a trend or a fad, but he could do without. So when he saw that there was a line item, line item in the amount of $20 million set aside, or at least being requested by PBS, the Public Broadcasting Service, a uh, channel very much in its infancy, he's like, that is certainly one place to, that can, uh, we can get some more money. So come to the budget hearings anyway, and uh, Pastore, John Pastore, the senator, he too uh, really didn't value this $20 million that could go to this new educational channel. And he made uh, you know, no bones about that. You know, he was pretty sure this was going to get the ax. Well, when they have these budget hearings, sometimes they bring in outside individuals, people outside of government to uh, kind of you know, plead a case, that sort of thing. So when it came down to the $20 million for PBS, uh, one man was given the chance to change Congress's mind. This was in May of 1969. And uh, this was not a loud, boisterous uh, individual, just a very mild-mannered man who didn't come to talk, you know, budgeting numbers or, you know, facts and figures. He decided he was just going to speak from his heart. And how he did that is he decided he's going to talk about his children's program on PBS that was only about a year old at this time. And in his six, uh, this is a chunk that he said from his about six or seven minute testimony before the senator. This is what this man said. This is what I give. I give an expression of care every day to each child to help him realize that he is unique. I end the program by saying, you've made this day a special day by just your being you. There's no person in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. And I feel that if we in public television can only make it clear that feelings are mentionable and manageable, we will have done a great service for mental health. 
And then he went on to recite some uh, lyrics from a song uh, with rhymes from a show about how uh, his audience, children, can manage their feelings. They can be in charge of their emotions. Well, before this day, Senator Pastore had never heard of Fred Rogers, and he had never seen Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. But once Mr. Rogers was done, Pastore said this, I'm supposed to be a pretty tough guy, and this is the first time I've had goosebumps for the last two days. Looks like you just earned the $20 million. I started watching you know, the, very, you know, the famous documentary that came out last year, Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Fred Rogers documentary. I'm halfway through and I saw this, I'm like, oh my gosh, on a week we're talking about passion, I can't think of a better way to start going down this road. How one man's passion has led to this massive legacy that many, if not all of us, have been touched by. Just so, so, so inspiring, and even just from this very humble, gentle, mild-mannered man. Well, we are in this series called Find Your Place, and if you've been around Southwest for any much longer than a year, then maybe, hopefully, you might know that our purpose statement is love God, love people, serve the community, share Jesus. And we kind of whittle that down, make it a shorthand. Uh, we just whittle it down to the verbs, love, serve, and share. And to kind of keep that at the forefront of everybody, including you know, the leadership, is we kind of rotate every third year between uh, those things. And uh, the word this year is serve. We try and do this every fall, kind of uh, lay it alongside the altered small group study we'll be doing, especially next month. But we're in this uh, series, Find Your Place, and uh, we're kind of using the metaphor, the image, the object of uh, just the GPS technology. Uh, I think, you know, last week or the week before, I forget when we started this uh, series, uh, but I know Roger, you know, he asked everyone, you know, there are two types of people in the world, those who just intuitively know which way is north and, you know, south and all that, and those who cannot find their way out of a paper bag, even had a show of hands. I was blessed with the intuition of knowing where I'm going. Who's on the other side? Let's see the show of hands, show of hands. It, it seems to be about 50-50. And normally this is something I'd be proud of, but honestly, it's not, you can't choose this for yourself. You really can't work on it. You just have it or you don't. Well, some years ago, GPS technology came out, global positioning system. So those who uh, really have a hard time finding their way from here to there, this is your salvation. You now know where you're going. You can have confidence in that. Well, we like taking things from you know, the, the, the world and kind of repackaging things for our purposes here. So uh, we taking that uh, acronym GPS, and just like a global positioning system can tell you not only where you are, but also uh, give you the best direction, best way to get where you're going, uh, we think there are serious uh, spiritual truths and implications that very much go along with that. So taking these three letters, G, P, S, we decided if you know your gifts, that's a G, passions, that's the P, and your story, if you have confidence in those three, then you can, one, know kind of how you're built, where you are, but also where God might ask you, even telling you to be going next. Well, last week we talked about gifts. That means this week I get to talk about that P word, passion. And sometimes we get into fancy, deep, you know, definitions of word, but we typically know what a passion is. And I'll just understand, I'll just, I understand a passion to be something that makes you excited, makes you angry, or makes you cry. One thing I did find out or was realized about passions this week, kind of working on the message, and uh, I think uh, this lends itself to a lot of spiritual truth and it lends itself to the reality that there is a creator who made us and designed us in very unique and specific ways. But uh, you might agree with me when I say this, uh, you really can't decide what your passions are, can you? 
They were almost like given to you. They've just always been with you or maybe they were developed, but you really can't choose what your passions are. Example for me, it's funny, you know, Debbie makes the Ohio State joke. I do not care about sports at all, at all. I know there was a, I think there was a, a large game last night. Ohio State was at Miami. Is this true? All of you are like, yes, and you should know this. I don't. I, every single year, I try and summon a passion for Ohio State football. I've been in Ohio for about eight years now. So like every fall, I make a woman, Andrew, you're going to sit down, you're going to watch a game, and you are going to be excited about this. So <clears throat> because here's the thing, like I miss out on so many conversations, parties, even relationships, because I don't care about football or any sport at all. But here's what happens every single year. I sit down for the game, and I make it maybe halfway through the first quarter, I'm like, I don't care. I don't get it. I'm going to go read a book. <clears throat> Just on the more side, it's like, so like, I, 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 so like growing up middle school, high school, like I played, you know, baseball, I played, I played soccer, I was on the track team and like I was athletic, but I never, ever, ever identified as athlete. That was never me. Just an example to see like how hopeless I was on the passion scale. Uh, like, especially high school, like the coaches, they always like to get the, you know, the players or the athletes, you know, really, really, you know, you know, jazzed up and all that. <clears throat> and there's that speech they always, the coach always says at the end, like there's that big question, like, is there any place you'd rather be tonight? Home. <laughs> With potato chips on the couch. <laughs> but you can't say that out loud in the locker room. You just can't. So like I said, passions, you know, typically what makes you excited, what makes you angry, what makes you cry. Uh, I thought briefly we might go down kind of the anger, uh, the anger avenue of this, but honestly, the world's angry enough right now, and there's a good kind of anger. I was like, I just don't want to deal with this. Plus, um, I'm not really an angry person. Uh, there are, I can just think of like three things that consistently make me angry. Uh, one is just people being late. Two is putting together IKEA furniture. And three, three is, this might be the the biggest one. Three is people at a four-way stop who don't know when it's their turn. Those are my... All that to say, I don't feel like talking about anger today. There is a time and place for that. Uh, but I kind of want to go down the avenue again. It comes down to what makes you angry, what makes you excited, and what makes you cry. Well, uh, that's kind of the avenue I'd like to take us down, more on the tears side. Uh, years and years ago, um, from a professor, and he stole from somebody else. We'll read some from this guy later. But uh, it's something that has stuck with me, and I, I've used it in a pastoral and mentoring one-on-one -on -one session. But it has served me well. And it comes down to this. Uh, a professor told me one time, pay very close attention to what makes you cry. And he had just taken at the concept from Frederick Buechner. Pay very close attention to what makes you cry. So I kind of want to talk about tears this morning, especially unexpected ones. Now, there are any number of things that can make us cry. A couple things that I want to, I want to take off the table is uh, let's leave you know, family issues off the table because we all care about family. We all love family. Uh, let's leave funerals off the table because, again, there are plenty of tears and grieving to be found at funerals. Um, I'll even, I'll even uh, you know, leave off weddings. One thing I don't want to do is like, talk about my wedding and new marriage every time I'm on stage, but I'm going to now. Uh, I remember we did the, Ashley and I, we did you know, right before the ceremony, like the exchanging of like, letters that that, uh, you know, we had someone kind of exchange for us. So I remember I was, you know, reading this letter that Ashley had given me beforehand. We hadn't seen each other. We weren't doing the first look. I was going to see her for the first time coming down the aisle. And so I'm, you know, reading this letter and my thought is, oh, what a beautiful letter. No tears, nothing like that. 
I wanted to, but like, I don't want to fake something like that. Anyway, so I get done and it's like less than 10 minutes ago. I'm just in the dressing room with all my groomsmen. And then out of nowhere, just like this wave of tears erupts within me. And I'm like scrambling for tissues. I'm like, what is happening? I don't know what this is. And then uh, my friends, my closest friends in the world, they were quick to explain, Andrew, these are emotions. Now you know. It's common to have tears on an occasion like that. So we'll leave weddings, funerals, and family things off the table. But again, we're in the world of tears. And if you read the gospels, there are two instances, a case could be made for a third, but there are two for sure instances where Jesus himself sheds tears, only two. So we're gonna read them both of those. The first is from John 11, the second is from Luke 19. And we're gonna find out, you know, why is Jesus crying, but also why does that matter? This first section is from John 11. It's a very long chapter. Uh, I tried to, you know, take, uh, uh, it's gonna be kind of, it's 20 verses I'm gonna read first, but up to this point, kind of what's been going on, uh, Jesus's dear friend Lazarus has passed away. Um, even when he was near death, his sisters, Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, uh, they had sent word to Jesus, hey, you know, please come back. He's, you know, he's reaching the end. And for whatever reason, even though Jesus knew this, he decided to stay away until he indeed had passed away. So where we're picking up is Jesus has come back and he is at the just outskirts of the village. He has just uh, been, he's talking with Martha right now, uh, where we'll pick up. And uh, just this family is in a time of, of grief. Again, it's funeral time. So we're gonna pick up here. Jesus is talking to Martha. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, Martha replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. said, the teacher is here. She said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Now when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can really sense the grief and the anger in that. Jesus, if you'd only been here. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Then Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there for four days. Martha, even in grief, the pragmatist. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and they just looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. 
There's some uh, healthy discussion has always been on exactly why Jesus is crying here. Uh, really smart people, scholars, academics, and just, you know, even people, you know, just who just love to study the Bible. Some think that, ang- that Jesus is just angry at death itself. At death itself. Um, some people think that uh, Jesus was angry at the lack of faith of the people around him as if Jesus couldn't do something about the situation. Uh, whatever is going on, again, they're both really good ideas. It's probably a layered kind of response that Jesus is having. Here's what I think. There's a reason why I wanted to start off verse 25 where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. One of the seven I am statements of Jesus in John's gospel. <clears throat> I think Jesus made a point to say, I am the resurrection and the life. And honestly, I think a reason Maybe the biggest reason why Jesus is crying here is in the midst of death, these people aren't realizing that the one person who can give them real life is right there. Now, I'm not going to fault these people. There's a lot that goes on when we're in the state of grief and mourning, so I, I will not fault the Mary and Martha and the Jewish people there at all. But you can see just how deeply troubled and almost like this angry crying that Jesus has going on because the people are just not getting it. That life, real, true life is right there. Let's look at the second time that Jesus cries, Luke 19. This is right after the triumphal entry. It's the last week of Jesus' life and he has just had this, you know, sort of inaugural, you know, presidential inaugural sort of thing, a parade. He comes through the Jewish people. They're ready to crown him king, you know, Hosanna and, you know, son of David, all that. And, uh, you know, they are ready to, again, crown him the Messiah they think he's going to be. Here he is. He's going to overthrow Rome. We now know that Jesus was not that kind of Messiah. But after this great parade, In Jesus' honor, uh, he seems to be largely by himself and he goes up and he looks over the entire city of Jerusalem. And this is where he cries a second time. As he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace, but now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize, recognize it when God visited you. I don't think there's anything hidden here. He's weeping because he loves these people. It is that simple. You know, he's been doing his, his thing. You know, he's been out doing ministry, healing people, teaching all that for about three years now. And several people have come to recognize, yes, Jesus is Messiah. Several people have said, you, yes, you are my Lord, you are my Savior. But there's still an entire city of people that he came for who have just not realized it. From these two passages, I think that people, that Jesus cares about that we would have real life in him, and also here it says, you know, you of all people would understand the way to peace. They have not understood, understood peace with their God yet. And it has broken Jesus' heart. I'm certain if there is one thing above all else that Jesus loves and cares about, it is lost people. And when I say lost, I think that's simply someone who has not met Jesus yet. That word can come with a lot of baggage. Hopefully that takes some of the baggage away. Lost, someone who does not know Jesus yet. Here's something about passions. Passions show us exactly where we need to be and what we need to be doing. Tears can often be an avenue of that. My author, Frederick Buechner, he said this about tears. He says, you never know what might cause them. The sight of the Atlantic Ocean can do it or a piece of music or a face you've never seen before. A pair of somebody's old shoes can do it. 
a horse cantering across a meadow, the high school basketball team running out onto the gym floor at the start of a game. You can never be sure. But of this you can be sure. Whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, it is well to pay the closest attention. They're not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but more often than not, God is speaking to you through them of the mystery of where you've come from and is summoning you to where you should go next. That's tears for us. So I'm going to tell the story, just kind of end, and uh, we'll kind of do the communion thing a little later. But let me end with this story. Um, tears served me well about five years ago. Uh, this was, um, I had just left my previous church, and it was before I really even knew about Southwest. And uh, the church I was at, you know, it was a fantastic three years, and I learned a lot, um, but there was some pain that came along with, with my parting. And I was a student minister there, and as you know, I, my first three and a half years here, I was a student minister role. Uh, even now, I love the role I'm in now, but I will always say that student ministry was by far and away probably the most meaningful job I will ever have in my life. And so that's kind of where my heart was, and even and still is in many ways. Anyway, kind of on my way out again, great things, great, you know, great goodbyes, tons of wisdom that I received in my parting. Um, but one individual, and it's funny how, you know, the hurtful words can stay with you. Uh, one individual, thinking they were being helpful, told me, you should not be doing student ministry. You are not built for this. You are wasting your time doing this. And, you know, I was, what, you know, five years younger and, you know, from someone I respect. So it's like, well, you know, this is what I feel, but this is what's happening. So it can be, you know, confusing. And uh, so, you know, I, I left there and it was just kind of this time of what am I going to do next? Um, I never stopped loving Jesus, never stopped loving the church. So I was always going to be kind of what ministry? It's like, would it even be student ministry? <clears throat> well, uh, my passions was reignited and, you know, my, my path was set straight just about a month after I had left. And uh, at my time at this, at this uh, church, I had a small group of 15 high school boys and they were fun and they were fantastic, still are. Uh, anyway, so what they decided to do is uh, they decided to kind of throw me like a, a, a going away, like a swim party and a cookout at the house. And it was just fantastic. Everyone was there. Just a good, really, really good uh, goodbye, kind of closing that chapter on, on my life. Anyway, so we go inside, and they wanted to watch a movie. They picked something stupid, so I'm not going to watch that. And uh, so I went outside, and this beautiful thing they gifted me with is uh, they, and I still have this, found this in storage not too long ago. They'd each, you know, written me just a beautiful letter. You know, you know, you know thanks from all of us, that sort of thing. And just page upon page, of just letters and notes uh, just thanking me. And if you want to talk about tears, people, <laughs> they flowed. And after reading this, not just from the students, but from their parents as well, it was that moment where passions, the unexpected tears tell me, Andrew, you are not done with students. And so, you know, this happens, this happens, and I get to end up here. And even now, so I certainly have been in this new role for about a year now, uh, but uh, wanted to give our new student minister, Nathan, you know, a solid year of just, you know, I, I didn't want to be in his way, let him do his thing with it. Well, you know, with this August new school year, I decided, you know, me and Ashley, we're going to jump back in. And I am now a middle school boys, small group leader. Who do I have? I have, I have Dean, I have Zach, I have Camden, I have, I have their names written down. It's still early, like five or six. Tyler's one of them. And I am having a blast. <clears throat> and it's just, just a reminder of just being exactly where I need to be. And again, part of that is I just feel fulfilled in this. 
So that's kind of the spirit I want to take in this. You know, we all have our passions, things that make it, that move us, make us angry, the right kind of angry, make us cry. And Jesus says, you know, we could read off a laundry list of areas that we could be passionate about, you know, uh, even, even outside the church, but it could be uh, children, it could be education issues, sanctity of life issues, abuse of any kind, homelessness, hunger problems. Again, the list can go on and on and on and on and on. And uh, there are a few things I'm really, really passionate about. And there's also a few things that are really, really important in the world that are serious problems, but I've never been able to summon much passion for them. And that is okay, because there are millions of other people who have that passion that I don't. And because I firmly believe that we really don't get to choose what our passions are, then that tells me that someone has put them there for us. I think God kind of gives us what our passions are. But before God says, you know, use your passions, before, you know, he can come alongside us and uh, join us in taking kingdom ministry, taking that ground, he says, you know, my son's right here. Make sure your relationship with him is solid first. You know, it says that outside of Jesus, we can't do any good. And if you think about it long enough, at least I do, uh, then I, I, I tend to believe that. So what we're going to do now with kind of passions on our mind, uh, we're going to move into a time of communion. So if you're on that team, uh, thank you, but that can be uh, your cue, appreciate it, serving in this way. But I'm going to pray for us and then uh, we'll do communion and I'll have just a, a few final thoughts. But let's uh, pray together going into this time. Father, it is uh, my prayer for everyone in the room that um, your truth came through, uh, hopefully it was a gentle one, but for this time, for the next several minutes, uh, we wanna treat this as private prayer and worship. Uh, maybe we can have a conversation with Jesus about uh, how we've been wired, what makes us cry, those unexpected tears, uh, how we've been designed, and uh, through uh, our relationship with Jesus, where can we make an impact, a giant dent into the kingdom in your name? but ultimately we need to have this right relationship with him first. So if we need to confess, help us confess. If we need to worship, help us worship. If we need to, I don't know, fill in the blank, whatever your Holy Spirit is prompting us, pushing us, forcing us to do, I pray that we are obedient to uh, that very prompting. More than anything else, we want to take on the posture of servant, just like your son Jesus did. So we ask your help with this. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus cared more about uh, lost people than anything else, and his life showed that, and the instances where he shed tears really, really showed that. So in the spirit of that, just a question out there, just what breaks your heart? Where do the, when and where do those unexpected tears arise? Um, you know, we'll get into a story next week, but you know, if you're like, you know what it's like to feel unloved as a kid, hey, volunteer in our children's ministry. If you can't stand the idea of someone feeling unwelcome, you know, we have, you know, guest services, you know, via door greeter, things like that. If you are into something that, you know, even outside of Southwest, whatever that is, thing is, find it and go take some kingdom ground in the name of Jesus. Uh, for the bulletin, uh, like kind of the bottom line, the whole point of the morning, it's this. Your passions will tell you where Jesus needs you to be. I think it is that simple. Your passions will tell you exactly where Jesus needs you to be. So with that prayer, with that charge, uh, keep that in your heart and mind, and let's do something about it. Uh, you know, we understand a disciple to be someone who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. So let's join in the mission of Jesus and really do something about our passions. Uh, outside of that, let's stand up. We have one more song to sing, and hopefully we'll see you next week for our next piece on the Find Your Place series.